how are you staying well and healthy and still loving people in all of this? How do you manage your anger and your frustration at how big this system is? I know that central to my health is getting a good night's sleep every night, taking vitamin C to bowel tolerance, having my friends and my family around me and being a jolly social creature. You know, I think of myself as you know um, a wise old woman with an extended tribe around her. I could not do this without those people. And those people are fighting too. And yes, it's hard fighting. If you know there are other people out there that are fighting with you, it makes a world of difference. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here. So today I have interviewed Dr. Sarah Myhill and she came out of the Middlesex Hospital Medical School. She has been a medical doctor for 40 years now and she was in general practice and left general practice when the practice of medicine was really frustrating for her because she felt like she couldn't address root cause and she couldn't really help patients. So her saga as a more holistic practitioner began about 20 years ago and um, she has really specialized in chronic fatigue syndrome and she's seen over 9,000 patients with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and sort of their related uh, infections. So she sees a lot of people who have been exposed to Roundup and become very toxic from that. She's seen a lot of Gulf War veterans, um, aerotoxic pilots, va vaccine injured people, 9-11 uh, syndrome, sick building syndrome. So she actually has been a big advocate in the UK for people who are suffering with the health problems of silicone breast implants. So she's a major activist and she had a lot interesting to say. She did, I do want to say two things that she talked about. She talked about vitamin C and I'm a big advocate of taking vitamin C, but she says, and she probably isn't aware of the data on it. She says to um, use a synthetic form of it and she probably isn't aware of the research that shows that that is actually uh, uses some harmful chemicals and is derived from high fructose corn syrup. So I have a favorite vitamin C that is is not what what she talks about. Um, you could certainly ask us on the Green Smoothie Girl page for it for a link to uh, to it on Amazon. But I'm not a fan of synthetic vitamin C, even though I'm a big fan of what vitamin C uh, does for you, as she will talk about. Um, the other thing I want to mention is she she talks about being a fan of getting off of carbohydrates and being on the keto or the paleo diet. Um, and you've probably heard me discuss this before, but you know I don't generally like to uh, sidetrack the conversation, so I didn't bring this up. But I do not believe that the ketogenic diet, as most people eat it, especially, is a great idea. I can see why it's an improvement and people will see an improvement in their health if they get on a healthy version or a healthier version of the ketogenic diet that involves a lot of vegetables from their standard American diet. I absolutely think that's possible. However, I think that diet is too high in fats and way too high in animal protein. I personally have totally healthy blood sugar and metabolism and I don't do keto or paleo, but instead I do a healthy plant-based diet. So I just want to throw that in there that you do your own research and you come to your own conclusions. I'm not here to tell you what, you, what to think. However, I do want to just throw my hat in the ring saying what saved my health was going plant-based um, but whole foods. So I'm not afraid of carbohydrates and I do not believe that eating fruit or eating legumes or 
some of the whole natural foods that are high in carbohydrates is bad for you at all. I don't think there's any evidence of that at all. So I just want to point that out before we get started. However, um, Dr. Myhill is one of the most persecuted and investigated physicians in the history of the UK. And so she has a lot to say about that. And I'm very excited to interview her today. So welcome. I'm so pleased to have the chance to talk to you from across the pond, Dr. Sarah Myhill. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be speaking to a like-minded individual. Yeah, I feel like we all just need to give each other a big hug. Like I've never, I've never appreciated hugs before like I do <laughs> now. Do you relate to that? Indeed, and, and with this ridiculous lockdown we have here, we all suffer from hug deficiency. So I can relate to that entirely. Yeah, I mean, it's like every time I go out and I see someone I haven't seen, you know, I play tennis competitively. If I run into a tennis teammate or whatever, they, they come in like they're going to give me a hug and, and they're like, is it okay if I hug you? And I, I have to fight tears every time because I'm like, this should have never happened. In the history of human beings, we should never have to ask to, to well, if we could give an old friend a hug, you know? Well, if, 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 if um, listeners pick up on the information that I will um, portray uh, in a moment, you will find out that hugging is completely back on the agenda and all the ridiculous restrictions and impositions that have been put in place are irrelevant and unnecessary. Okay, so let's, let's start at the beginning because if you don't know who Dr. Myhill is, um, I, I'd love for her to tell her story of being a, a, a traditionally trained physician and I believe you are, at least in some groups in the UK, the most persecuted, most investigated physician in what, history? Tell us your story. Yes, well, um, I qualified, um, and as you say, conventional training, 1981, normal house jobs, and then I worked in the National Health Service general practice as a GP for 20 years. By the end of the 20 years, I was becoming increasingly concerned by the lack of um, ability to practice independently and freely as a doctor. I felt I didn't have um, the biochemical or rather clinical scope to be a good doctor. And at that point, I went um, became an independent general practitioner. The point here being is that conventional medicine is not asking the question why. It's not looking at disease causation. So when people come, came to me with high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, the treatment would be drugs for cholesterol, drugs for diabetes, drugs for high blood pressure, symptom suppression. Now, most people find that totally unsatisfactory, and I as a doctor certainly did. Uh, and in fact, I got my wrists slapped when I was working in the NHS because my prescribing budget was so low, that meant I was a bad doctor. Wow. So, uh, so of course, I'd started to learn how to treat people effectively through diets um, and nutritional supplements, detoxification regimes, reprogramming the immune system, all that sort of thing. And 20 years ago, um, in 2000, I jumped sideways and became an independent medical um, practitioner. Since when my practice has never been busier, but it came with a big but. My problem is I'm gobby. I say what I think, I put everything that I think on my website that's free for anybody to, to view, and I write books. And this brought me to the attention of the General Medical Council which is the organization, the government quango in this country responsible for uh, licensing doctors. And my views are frankly anti-establishment because I'm doing, um, and I'm undermining conventional medicine by practicing ecological medicine. 
Anyway, as a result, um, um, endless GPs, consultants, health authorities, hospital organizations complained about me to the General Medical Council. Your patients weren't complaining about you. You've never had a patient complaint involved in all of these investigations, right? No, and what was so funny was I did a um, Data Protection Act search to the General Medical Council, and the legal advice that they received was uh, as follows. The problem with the Myhill cases is that all the patients are better and none of them will complain about her. So that just gives you a flavor of the nature of the investigations against me. But so far there have been 31 investigations, present score, Myhill 30, GMC nil, one result pending. So here I am as an independent doctor. And of course, when the issue of COVID-19 came along, I applied exactly the same thinking pattern, which is, you know, what's causing it? Um, what can we do to um, prevent ourselves and protect ourselves from getting it? Now, the one word I've been listening out for um, um, on the radio constantly is uh, the immune system. You know, and it's, that has never appeared in the news. You know, at no point has any government official or even doctor said, our job here is to strengthen that person's immune system so that they can't get COVID-19. Now, of course, I didn't know much of this, you know, when it's first struck, but I now know from first-hand practical experience, from the practical experience of a mentoring group of doctors that I know, that there are four important interventions which are highly effective. And um, those four are all about improving the immune system and reducing the loaded, loading dose of virus when it comes along. So what your listeners want to know is what can I do to protect myself? What can I do to protect my family? If I can interrupt really quick, what's really crazy is you're well, even though you're not here in the United States, I'm sure you're well aware of a guy named Tony Fauci, right? I mean, here's this 50 year government employee, right? And I used to work for the government just long enough to know that I don't ever want to, I didn't want a career working in the government because what gets you to the top working for the government is not what gets you to the top working in a small business, which is thinking outside the box, being creative, asking hard questions, uh, pushing. Uh, that is not how you have a 50 year career working for the government, which is what Fauci has had. But what's crazy is, you know, there's a lot of people like you. Dr. Myhill, who are asking the question, why are the doctors at the top who have decades and decades of exposure to what might actually work to make you stronger against a virus, or if you get the virus, get well quickly without hospitalization? Um, but, you know, lots of American doctors too are saying, how come Fauci and Burks never say a single word about ways that you can strengthen your immune system? Well, I certainly have my theories. Uh, my theories have everything to do with the fact that they are being controlled by a, an agenda that doesn't have, that there's no, nothing in the agenda that wants us to be healthier. But I found a news article that Tony Fauci was in the news quoted in 2015 saying that he takes a thousand milligrams of vitamin C a day to keep his immune system strong. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> now that is the ultimate hypocrisy. And, and that's what you so often see um, in people when they get into power, they become hypocrites. I mean, the problem with all institutions is they become self-serving and it needs you know, the unreasonable man, you know, the unreasonable woman to think outside the box and say, no, that's wrong. This is the way forward. And I, I would hate to comment on the uh, commentate on the political aspects, which you're obviously uh, well versed with. 
but I say my job is uh, my duties to the individual person, the individual family, to make sure that they are protected from getting COVID-19. Yeah, so tell and us the four things that you were starting to talk about. Okay, um, the first thing is cut out the sugars and the carbohydrates in your diet. The figures from 2012 is that over 50% of Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Uh, and you get you become pre-diabetic or diabetic by eating too much food, in particular too much sugars and too much carbohydrates. And the reason we do that is because they're addictive. The, the, um, I know this from one of my mentoring group who works at a, uh, an NHS hospital. He said, we've had 38 serious cases of COVID-19 through the hospital. He said, all 38 of them had a BMI, of, um, a body mass index of above 30, which means they were quite markedly overweight. Of those patients, eight of them died. And those eight patients who died, they all had a BMI above 34. So I know it's a very small um, sample, but it's, this, this has been reflected you know, um, from other uh, comments that people have made. And guess what? We know people who are diabetic have a greater risk of infection than, the, than those that are not, because running a high blood sugar encourages infection, encourages um, skin infections, chest infections, um, urinary tract infections, you know, blood infections, and so on. So the first thing you all need to do is do a paleo ketogenic diet. Cut out the, the carbohydrates and the sugars in your diet, and that is a great start. The second thing you need to do is to take vitamin D in decent doses. Now, one of the first observations that were made um, in the uh, epidemic here in this country was that it was the black and Asian doctors who were succumbing. Now, of course, they're working in the front line, so they're getting exposed to it. But the key point here we now know from studies which have already been published is that the lower your vitamin D, um, the greater your risk of dying from COVID-19 because vitamin D protects cells from becoming infected and is a very important anti-inflammatory. In fact, the figures are fascinating. This is one study that came up looking at patients um, with COVID-19. When their vitamin D level was 17 nanograms per mil, the mortality rate was 100%. When their vitamin D level were 24 nanograms per mil, the mortality started to fall. And by the time they had a vitamin D level of 34 nanograms per mil, the mortality was zero. So there's a straight line relationship between vitamin D levels and your risk of death from COVID-19. So how do you get vitamin D? Go and sunbathe. That's the cheapest way to do it. What gives you a daily dose of 10,000 international units of vitamin D is about an hour of sunshine. So that sunshine landing directly on the skin. You have to do that every day. Now, if you can't, and of course I live in Wales, which is a rather gray area and we had no sunshine today, then you need to take a vitamin D supplement. Now the absolute minimum, my view, is 5,000 international units every day. Um, but you, anybody can take up to 10,000 international units of vitamin D every day, no side effects, no problems have ever been observed at that dose. It's a very safe supplement. So that's the next thing you do is you take vitamin D. The third intervention, which again is of proven benefit, is to take vitamin C. And there are many ways in which vitamin C protects against viral infections. Um, and in fact, um, I wrote a book about um, the tendency to infection called The Infection Game, where um, I learned so much through my researches and have now applied this practically. But the point about vitamin C is vitamin C contact kills all viruses, all bacteria, all fungi. 
it's the perfect antibiotic or the perfect antimicrobial rather. Now, humans are almost unique in the mammal world because it's humans, fruit bats and guinea pigs that cannot make their own vitamin C. So I'm in a farming area, I'm looking out of my window, I've got sheep, cattle, um, um, horses out there. They can all make their own vitamin C. And when they get infected, they've been studied done with goats, for example, goats will, will manufacture about 15 grams of vitamin C a day in order to stay healthy. And they can manufacture that very easily from sugars in the body. So humans, if you're not taking vitamin C, you will be vitamin C deficient. Uh, and you need at least five grams a day for optimum immune function. Five grams is 5,000 milligrams. Now you cannot get that through eating um, food. You, this, it's, it's almost impossible. People say, oh, I can get that from eating fruit, can I? Well, the trouble with eating that amount of fruit, you're then going to have an enormous sugar load. So we have to use our brains by pure ascorbic acid, which is the cheapest and the best. And what I do is I put my daily dose of ascorbic acid into a glass of water. It dissolves quite well. It gives it a slightly lemony flavor and drink it little and often through the day. So by the end of the day, you've consumed your entire five grams. Now, I say vitamin C is a fantastic tool. And there's been some lovely studies to show how effective it is in COVID-19. Clinical studies, first in Wuhan and then in New York. Patients who are admitted to hospital with severe COVID-19, they give them intravenous vitamin C, 10 grams over 24 hours. Now, that is not a big dose. That's a modest dose given intravenous. Those patients who've been treated, the mortality is zero. The cost of this treatment is $12 a day. Some of them received 20 grams over the 24 hours, and the cost was $24 a day. This is a cheap treatment, highly effective. So you can do as well um, getting your body levels up by taking low dose of vitamin C regularly. And all my patients, or all those that I'm in contact with, I've said you must take five grams every day. And guess what? They've all been right as rain. I have one girl who had a complication of COVID-19, but she's out of hospital and she's home and she's doing very well. Thank you very much. So that's the, the, the third thing. And then the fourth intervention, which has um, been incredibly effective, is the use of iodine. Now, I'm going to jump sideways now. Um, one of the problems for, um, uh, well, the severity of any infection, and it doesn't matter if it's viral, bacterial, or fungal, um, is, is partly caused by the loading dose of that virus. So if somebody gets a very big dose of virus, it means the virus can easily get into the body, duplicate very quickly, and overwhelm the immune system. So another key protective influence is to keep the loading dose of virus down. Now this is where um, iodine is incredibly helpful because iodine, like vitamin C, contact kills all microbes. It's very cheap as well. So the recipe I ask my patients to do is get themselves a pot of coconut oil and make up a mix, which is 10 parts of coconut oil to one part of Lugol's iodine, either 12% or 15%. It's not critical, I tend to use 15%. And that gives you a mix of iodine um, and coconut oil. And you apply that to your hands or your face with any foreign contact. So picking up the post, going shopping, um, you know, driving the car. If you put um, you know, a, a, um, maybe a marble-sized um, piece of coconut oil in your hands, rub it around your hands, onto your forearms, onto your face, any virus 
stuck onto you will be killed in seconds. And that's so that helps to keep the loading dose down substantially. Okay, so I think you're saying to make up in advance 10 parts coconut oil to one part Lugol's iodine. Correct. You guys, you can buy that in a lot of different places, maybe even a pharmacy. So Lugol's L-U-G-O-L apostrophe S. And I didn't know that, that it would just um, get rid of a virus on contact. What about the fact that it's not dead? I mean, it's not alive. Like the, the virus isn't alive. Is that a good like antibacterial as well for bacteria? Yeah, it, it, it kills all microbes, but it denatures the virus so it can no longer function. Okay. And the other, there's, a, there's another happy, happy double whammy here because COVID-19 is a lipid coated virus. And if it comes in contact with coconut oil, the coconut oil dissolves the lipid coat and kills it. So even if you can't get iodine, just coconut oil alone will be pretty effective, but iodine supercharges it effectively. And the other important um, property of iodine is that it's volatile. And um, so if you've got, so if you put it in your mouth and your, around your face, you will inhale the iodine fumes and that kills virus as well. If you, if you think you have had a clear contact with um, uh, COVID, then a very good um, treatment is to use a, a salt pipe. And um, this is the little device that was developed by a Polish physician who noticed that miners who work in the salt mines had beautiful clean lungs. By contrast, those miners who worked in coal mines had chronic obstructive airways disease, emphysema, asthma, and so on. So this is just a plastic pot filled with sea salt. And then what I recommend my patients do is put a couple of drops of Lugol. So this is Lugol's iodine, a couple of drops of Lugol's iodine in the mouthpiece like that, and just sniff it. And you can smell the iodine. It smells very strong. And just the smell of iodine is sufficient to kill all virus in the airways. So that's in the nose, the sinuses, the pharynx, and the lungs. So um, some people will be listening to this and won't see it. I've never actually seen a little thing like that. It looks like a little pipe, but she's sniffing it. What would it be called if they order it? Because I thought you were going to say like a neti pot where you have to put it in solution and put it through your sinuses. And for some reason, I have one and I'll use it if I'm sick. But as a preventative, it's just, I never do it because it's so unpleasant. But you're saying just put a few drops of it in there and nothing else is in there. Um, sure. And it just this, just smelling it, inhaling it will kill. Um, yep. any... you, you, could, you could just put it on a, on a bit of cotton wool and just the smell of it will okay. do the job. It's but what is that thing called? So I beg your pardon? What is that thing called? How, what was, how would they look for it? It's called a salt pipe. Salt pipe. They're, they're on Amazon. They cost... 12 quid, 15 quid or something like that, they're very cheap. Some of my patients make them themselves. They just get a plastic pot, bit of cotton wool, salt in it, holes in the bottom and sniff that. It's simply a delivery method. It's very cheap, very easy to use. But the key is, at the end of the day, if you could smell the iodine, you have a therapeutic dose of it. You have enough to kill the virus and stop it in its tracks. Um, to illustrate this point, I have four patients with chronic lung infection called bronchiectasis. Now bronchiectasis is a very nasty lung condition. It kills people because they go from one antibiotic and then they're off them and then another antibiotic and then they're off them and so on. And eventually they end up with a multi-resistant organism and then they risk lung abscess, surgery, possibly death. So bronchiectasis is a very serious and nasty condition. Now they have, all four of them, 
have done the four interventions I'm talking about. Paleophysiogenic diet, vitamin D, vitamin C, and sniff, regularly sniffing salt pipe with iodine. And since using that, their requirements for antibiotics have fallen to zero. The only times they need antibiotics is if they fall off the wagon. If they you know, go out to a party and they eat all the wrong things, blood sugar picked up, the bacteria comes back to life in the lungs and they end up with the infection and yes, antibiotics. But with time and experience, they are jolly well learning. And those that have um, been doing the regimes for longest, their need for antibiotics is now zero. So it's a fantastic tool and it's very easy. And the point is, the point about COVID-19 is it's going to be with us forever and it is already mutating into other forms. And what this means is that a vaccine is going to be useless. In fact, influenza vaccines, you know, vaccines for respiratory viruses have got a very, very poor track record anyway. Uh, so don't rely on vaccines to protect yourself from COVID-19. They are simply not going to work. But if you improve your immune system and you take these very simple preventive measures and have these interventions available should you get any infection, COVID-19, influenza, it doesn't matter what, you will, you will not die from these conditions. As I say, I worked this out some years ago because I work with many patients who have chronic fatigue syndrome and ME, and the ME patients have an infectious driver. Things like Lyme disease, chronic Epstein-Barr virus, mycoplasma, whatever. And that's what drove me to write this book, The Infection Game. And the subtitle of it is Life is an Arms Race. The point here being that you and I are a free lunch for microbes to make themselves at home in our delicious and comfortable bodies. And um, if they do that, they're well fed, um, they're kept nice and warm, uh, they're kept well watered, they can have free sex and multiply and go on to infect other people. So it's back to square one. We should always be looking to improve the immune system, improve our immune defences, so these little wretches never get a chance to get into the body and get a grip and make us sick. And believe you me, make us ill, they do. What we're, what's interesting at the moment is we are now seeing a COVID-19 post-viral syndrome. People are getting COVID-19 and not recovering from it. Uh, and we will see, I confidently predict, we will see an epidemic of ME uh, triggered by COVID-19. In my book, the, the, the main infectious drivers of ME are the herpes virus, in particular Epstein-Barr virus, mycoplasma, and they can infect us in any number of ways through the lungs, through the uh, sexually transmitted diseases, um, uh, Lyme disease, which of course is at epidemic levels in America at the moment. And again, almost certainly Lyme disease um, um, is caused by, well, we know it's caused by this microbe Borrelia burgdorferi, which was created as a part of a biological warfare. And it was released, whether it's deliberately or a mistaken release, we're not quite sure, or nobody can be sure, in uh, Connecticut. And the first cases um, appeared around uh, the town of Lyme. But the most recent figures that I heard is that Americans are being infected with Lyme disease at the rate of a thousand new cases every day. It's a big disease in America, um, driving pathology, and we now have it in this country and the, and the continent and more, more, more widespread. And people run into problems, particularly with it, when their immune defenses are down. So it's the old story, improve the immune system, improve the immune function, and give the body a chance to get rid of these nasty infections on its own. Yeah, I'm supposed to be just barely getting back right now from my eighth 
year, 10th, 10th uh, liver detox retreat in Switzerland, I have this beautiful clinic of biological medicine that I discovered on a research tour 10 years ago. And I've taken hundreds and hundreds of Americans there. Sadly, we had to cancel it for all of this, right when we could all use a really great liver detox and reboot. But because I go there every year and we do live blood analysis and we get to look at our live blood and Sometimes when I stay there for three weeks, I'll get a live blood analysis when I get there and when I leave. And it's just amazing how much cleaner my blood is and how just beautiful and vibrant my white blood cells are and my red blood cells, you know, their, their borders change and their oxygenation changes. And the motility of my white blood cells is like four times better just from three weeks of, of, this, of this beautiful liver detox. And so I've been really sad and lots of people who are coming with us. I mean, it was sold out and we were all very excited to go. But when I'm there, I get, we get tested. So we have testing that we wouldn't normally, a healthy person like me wouldn't normally get tested. And I'm, I want to circle back to a couple of things you said. I really want to talk about this. Um, and, and later I want to come back to the idea of the, the um, vaccine, because all of my listeners are very concerned about the vaccine, not only the vaccine, but and, and I don't think I've ever talked about this before, but I'm concerned that they're not really, and this is, you know, again, political and your job is the medical, but I'm concerned that they're not even going to be vaccinating us really against COVID-19 by the time they bring whatever garbage they're going to want to shoot us up with and chip us and track us with. Uh, I have been, I've seen some data that a tiny, tiny, tiny little microchip could be injected you know, and we might not even know that we're being injected with a microchip that they can actually send uh, a lot of, they could send frequencies to control a lot of things about our mood and our behavior. So I'm concerned about what's actually even in the injection. I don't even want to call it a vaccine because I don't trust it. Like you said, so you talked about how the, the virus is mutating as we speak. If and when they were, to, were able to bring any kind of vaccine to the table that is supposedly a coronavirus vaccine, even though they've been trying for decades to come up with a vaccine against the other coronaviruses, and they've been a total fail. Um, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, so I get tested in Switzerland every year, and I'm positive for herpes and for, or last time I was, herpes and Epstein-Barr. So she gave me some good biologicals against it, and, and maybe if I were there this year, I would, would test negative for it. But the point is, like, most people test positive for Epstein-Barr. I've read as high right. as 85%. I've never been sick with either one of those things, and we all have all of these, you know, all these microbes in us, but I guess mine was high enough that it's actually detectable by a test. So, and I, I have a colleague who's out on social media all the time talking about how she got COVID-19 during the whole thing in March or whatever, and she really isn't well again. Can you talk, let's start with, can you talk about this post-viral syndrome um, okay. and, and say a little bit more about that? Okay, well, this is what, my special area of um, medicine and um, the clinical picture is one of a chronic fatigue. So people have no energy, um, they have no stamina, they have to rest up, they have to pace all their activities. If they overdo things, they get post-exertional malaise. And uh, the underlying mechanisms that cause that clinical picture are poor energy delivery mechanisms. And then we have those patients who have the poor energy delivery mechanisms and the symptoms of inflammation. And inflammation is characterized by people who have, they feel ill, they um, have fevers, um, their glands swell up, um, maybe they have tendency to infections. And those patients, the clinical picture is that of ME. So although they're both 
um, um, groups of patients have fatigue, the ME patients have chronic infection as well. So the first thing I have to do in seeing those patients is, is work out um, which of their symptoms are due to poor energy delivery mechanisms and which are due to ME, to, uh, in chronic infection or inflammation. Now, I could speak all day about this, and believe you me, I do. Um, I run uh, roadshows where initially I used to go out around, all around the country, but COVID-19 put an end to that, and I now run online Zoom workshops that anybody in the world can join. We limit them to 20, and I talk um, from 9.30 in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, detailing the management of chronic fatigue syndrome and ME, and at any point, anybody can tip in and ask me questions. So I would love in 10 minutes to give you how I treat the whole of chronic fatigue and ME, but it just ain't possible. It takes me at least four hours, uh, five hours, being at my most concise. But the point is we have to look at two sides of the equation, how that person generates energy and, um, and, and what infections or inflammations do they have. Now, in talking about how you generate energy in the body, the analogy I'm using all the time is the car analogy. And for your car to go, you will have the right fuel in the tank, the good engine, the thyroid um, um, uh, accelerator pedal, and the adrenal gearbox. I, I've pulled in the analogy straight away, but that translates to the fuel in the tank is all about diet, micronutrients, and gut function. You cannot supply your body with the raw materials and the correct fuel that it needs to function, then it's never going to work well. And I spend more time talking about the diet, gut function. Um, than all other subjects put together. I always start these days off by saying, look guys, if at the end of this day, the only thing you do, the PK diet and take vitamin C to bowel tolerance, you will be getting yourself an awful long way. And don't laugh, I've actually produced a cookbook about this. So that's the first part. Then the engines of our car are called mitochondria. And mitochondria are the powerhouses. And in fact, all life on this planet, plants, animals, insects, fish, doesn't matter. The, the way they generate energy is through mitochondria. And what they do, mitochondria take fuel from the bloodstream in the form of ketones. They oxidize it, they burn it in the presence of oxygen, and that generates energy. And this, um, I've written three papers about mitochondrial function now in patients with um, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome. And the bottom line is those people who have the worst fatigue, have the worst mitochondrial function, and vice versa. And that was our first paper that came out in 2009. And the most recent paper that came out um, in 2013 demonstrated that if they put in place those regimes to correct mitochondrial function, then the tests improve reliably well. And so what that means is you don't need expensive tests to get well. You see, I would love all my patients to do what you've done, to go to a treat once a year in Europe and get sorted out. But these people can't earn money they are stony broke. And so I have to manage their finances for them as well as efficiently as I manage the rest of their health. And so the regimes I'm putting in place are um, cheap, um, uh, free from side effects, obviously effective. Anybody can access them. You don't need a doctor to get in the way. And my job now is to train people to fashion their own recovery. And that's what I do with the work. Um, um, because I come back to similar packages of um, interventions, I call these packages groundhog interventions. And I call them groundhog because like the film, um, which is a time loop, I keep coming back to them again and again and again. And the bottom line is we should all be doing groundhog basic. 
And in fact, those four interventions that we talked about um, with respect to protecting against COVID-19 are all groundhog basic interventions. So PK diet, vitamin C, um, iodine, uh, vitamin D, and other things as well, heating regimes, herbs, and then we have what I call Groundhog Acute. And Groundhog Acute are the regimes we have to put in place at the first hint of any infection. Now, it doesn't matter what that infection is. And of course, in the early stages, nobody knows what the infection is. Nobody, you might have a urinary tract infection, but you don't know what the microbe is. You might have a chest infection, but you don't know what the microbe is. You might have a flu-like illness, but you don't know if you've got flu or COVID-19. It doesn't matter because groundhog acute interventions are not microbe specific, they work for everything. And again, it's vitamin C to bowel tolerance, you know, it's inhaling iodine or using iodine topically on the skin, it's heating regimes, it's herbal treatment, you know, and the packages are the same and, and anybody can access these. And then I have what I call groundhog chronic interventions. Now, those are the interventions that we should all be putting in place as we age, because all Western pathology has an infectious driver, from dementia to cancer to heart disease. It doesn't matter. They've all got an infectious associate. Um, and um, ground, or we put in groundhog chronic when we are not well. And of course, people come to me not because they're well, but because they're ill. Right. <laughs> but for many people, you know, the starting point to treat their chronic illness is groundhog chronic. Now, those interventions what they actually involve are all freely available on my website you go to drmyhill.co.uk and put in groundhog you will see the three um regimes cards if anybody would like a checklist of what's there anybody can access it um, as it happens i've just produced another book called ecological medicine um, the antidote to big pharma where i go through the whole of medicine from symptoms and mechanisms to how we fix it and we have what I call the basic tools that we should all be putting in place, the dark, the vitamin C, uh, sunshine, you know, nature, um, uh, exercise, and then what I call the bolt-on extras for particular problems. What's, what's the difference, um, your term ecological medicine, how would you compare that to what m most of the doctors in Europe that I've interviewed called biological medicine? Is it pretty much the same thing? It's exactly the same thing. And it's all about, um, working out things from first principles. Why is that patient uh, ill? You know, what's gone wrong in his life? And how can we fix this with remedies um, to improve the biochemistry? Now, let me just explain that because it's such an important point. The joy of using nutritional supplements, detox regimes, um, whatever, is they allow the biochemistry of the body to work more efficiently. As I call it, they reduce the friction. So everything works more smoothly, more effectively. And when enough works smoothly and effectively, the whole body comes together as a whole. By contrast, um, a pharmacological, you know, a big pharma-based medicine throws drugs at people, which are like throwing a handful of sand into a finely tuned engine. Now, okay, they might be meant just to inhibit this process or inhibit that process, but actually they inhibit many processes. And the more drugs you have, the greater the friction in the system. And so the whole thing slows down and suddenly we're, we're, we're balling, running downhill with pathology. And, you know, you think what the drugs are, you know, um, uh, antidepressants, you know, antihypertensive, anti-cholesterol, they're all blockers. So they're all increasing the biochemical friction. And with drugs, it's short-term gain because they suppress symptoms, but long-term pain because the underlying pathology is going downhill. And again, one of the very first lessons 
that I uh, cover with my patients is symptoms are very important. They protect us from ourselves. But if I never experienced tiredness, I would go all day, all night, all day, all night, and I'd be dead in two weeks because nobody's lasted two weeks without sleep. Um, you know, if you suppress pain, then you know, if a joint is painful, if you suppress it with aspirin or paracetamol or cocodone or something, then you, you go on using a joint which should be rested, that should be healed, but the body doesn't know it anymore because that symptom's been taken away. So symptoms are like signposts. We should be looking at symptoms to guide us through um, the, 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 the muddy soup that, they, that the doctors call medicine these days. And we should listen to our symptoms and listen to our bodies and yes, accept help and read books from wherever we can in order to fashion our own, our own um, uh, recovery. And again, that's why I took to writing books because I kind of work, I can't heal the world on my own, but my job, and of course the word doctor, it comes from the Latin, means to teach. My job is to teach patients how to heal themselves by giving them, as I call it, the rules of the game and the tools of the trade. And these must all be things that they can do without doctors getting in the way. Because my experience is that doctors uh, are often obstructive in the healing process because they discourage patients. You know, they tell them, oh, don't worry your little heads with that. We've got the drugs. Um, and, uh, and that is why the health of people has been going downhill for some decades now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised how light and pleasant you are given the fact that you've been put through hell um, I, I just, I'm always super curious. My last book, I'm a 16 time author. My last book was called vibe and it's about the vibrational frequency of everything, everything from your emotions and like the ones that you play on a loop all the time and what they actually do to your whole being to the foods that you choose, etc. And so I'm amazed if you've been through 31 investigations and you've been persecuted relentlessly since you chose to do a much kind of higher calling work as a physician. Like you, you chose out of the easy path and into the hard path, and yet all of a sudden this giant industry uh, wants to attack you and gaslight you and, and I'm sure character assassinate you. I've, I've only seen, I've only, I've only interviewed probably 120 doctors telling me stories like this, but not, not always as ghastly as yours. Because, <laughs> it, you know, we, we think, everybody in America thinks, oh, in Europe, Western medicine and more holistic approaches coexist much better. That's not what you're telling me. Absolutely not. They believe you me, the, the doctors are in the grip of big pharma. Medical education is um, bankrolled by big pharma. If you want a professorial chair at um, a university or uh, if you want to become promoted in medicine, you have to do drug-based research. Uh, and how, how do you manage your how do you manage your anger and your frustration at how big this system is? And I know that everyone has this on their mind. They're just like, this feels so overwhelming to me. I'm up against this huge thing. People are always out saying to me, like, I'm today I cracked. Like through this whole last several months of COVID-19, where we're all having all these awarenesses about how sick our world is, how swampy our world is. I have people say every day, like, how do you how do you keep going? Because um, I'm an angry woman too, very frankly. Um, and, and, and I say to them, what is the alternative? Yes. Besides to fight this and to get up every single morning and just keep fighting this and thinking of new ways to fight it and just block out the, the idea, oh, this is pointless. This is futile. I mean, I'm, I'm a mother of four children. And so that's a lot of what drives me is like, I can't, I can't just 
quit here and lie low and take what little measure of life they're willing to let me have, what little bowl of porridge they're willing to give me after all my, my work for 53 years and just accept it. No, because I brought, I have like baby adults. I have baby adult children who think they're going to go have a life like I've had. So I don't, I just, I don't see what the, I have no alternative. There's no way. It doesn't matter how up against a giant mountain I feel I am or you know, my metaphor is like, I feel like we all just were running around with our little pieces of pieces of sand in the anthill and the anthill just got kicked over and everybody's just an ant running around, just bumping into each other right now. But just, I don't, I don't see any possibility of doing anything besides what I'm doing, which is every day I get up and say, how can I fight it today? How are you staying well and healthy and still loving people in all of this? When you see all these people and all this madness. Well, I do practice what I preach. And I don't ask my patients to do anything without doing it myself first. And I know that central to my health is eating a PK diet, getting a good night's sleep every night, taking vitamin C to bowel tolerance, you know, having my friends and my family around me and being a jolly social creature, and, without, and my lovely patients as well. So you know, I think of myself as you know, um, a wise old woman with an extended tribe around her. And, and I, couldn't, I could not do this without those people. And those people are fighting too. And yes, it's hard fighting. But if you know there are other people out there that are fighting with you, it makes the world of difference. And um, what's kept me strong throughout all my hearings and my lovely patients, they write letters of support, they turn up at the hearings, um, and they've been wonderful. I couldn't have done it without them. But I, I, one, the one thing that's really uh, helped me more than anything else is not relying on the lawyers. Because after my first um, GMC investigation, I could no longer get medical indemnity for legal cover. So I had to do my own defense. And um, um, that has been fantastic because I've always represented myself in court. Uh, and I've been able to shoot from the hip. If I think something, I absolutely say it. And although they, they may say, oh, you can't say that, it's too late, it's being said. So, um, and, and again, if when I'm standing up and I'm defending myself, I think even the GMC, can see that I am honourable, decent, passionate, righteous. I'm not trying to hide anything. Hide anything. And, um, and in the end, they had to drop all the cases against me with no case to answer. It's, it's very brave of you to, um, uh, what do you call that, pro se, go pro se. But I think that in your case, like that's everything because you can't listen to you for five or 10 minutes without seeing that your heart is actually in the right place and that you're you know, you're a 40 year physician with 40 years of wealth of knowledge and they would pick up on that. And that's actually a really smart strategy. And this isn't about our, but I'm really glad you brought that up. Like that you don't, you don't trust the lawyers, me neither. And I, I had a, you know, like a divorce lawyer for 10, 11 years, but the, the one time I went to court, it was literally nine years after my divorce. I represented myself because only you know the details of your case. Your, yes. your attorney has like, 15 clients and they're like standing up there in front of the judge and they can't remember it. Um, and so I coach people all the time. I coach local women who are getting a divorce and I'm like, don't get in the back seat and put your lawyer or your barrister, as you would say over there in the UK in the yeah, front yeah. seat and just think they're going to save you because like, don't yeah. even think about going into court without an hour of your attorney where you're holding that attorney's head metaphorically and saying, let me go through every detail of my case. I want you to know everything about it before you walk in there. Um, and that's if you have an attorney represent you, but, and, and it's really a brave thing to do to represent yourself, but I've done it too. And 
I have found, and I've gone to court, not just in my own stuff, but with several friends through their divorces. And I have found that the people who represent themselves, the, the judge is very, very nice to them. Like you get a pass that the lawyers don't get. Yes. That's have you correct. found that? Yeah. Well, not so much the GMC because they, because they now, they, they now know my ways, but, um, but You're yes, a doctor, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but but the point is, you know, I couldn't brief a, a lawyer in uh, in an hour. It wouldn't be possible. Uh, I mean, you know, I've got thirty cases, and, and every single one of them is burned in there, and I know every single detail of that. That and so whenever the you know the opposition come up with a, oh, what about this? I can immediately come back and say, no, the post was this. You know, and if you read page, blah, 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 you will see. So yes, being able to evidence base everything you know, I think I've ever said has been a very powerful tool. I'm really glad that you do these all day classes with people where you take no more than 20 and we'll have you repeat the URL where people can find that here at the end. But the reason I'm so glad you do that is that I think that most doctors like it's so, even if they believe that foundationally eating the right diet that doesn't have a bunch of processed carbs in it, I'm not a keto or paleo fan. I eat plant-based. That's what works for me. My body doesn't like high fat. My body doesn't like meat. And so I wouldn't say I eat a low carbohydrate diet at all, but I don't eat processed sugar and we haven't been sick at all. You know, we get, we, we went on, we, my partner and I went completely sugar-free January 1st of this year. And we talk about all the time, like how glad we are that we did that because you know, you paralyze your white blood cells for like five hours after you eat processed sugar and, and through a, through a pandemic, if, if, if you believe that this pandemic is just right there waiting to kill everybody, you, don't you want the peace of mind? And I don't believe that, yeah. but yeah. you know, don't you want the peace of mind of just the, the foundational basics? And here's the thing, like the fact that you're willing to just do that over and over and over again with people, it's like basic stuff. And it really shouldn't have to be, we should have like our physicians working with health coaches to keep reminding people of that stuff and how to do it. Because a lot of people literally don't know how to eat and they don't know how to cook. People tell me that all the time. Like, I don't know how to cook and I don't know how to eat healthy. I don't even know what that is. Um, but, but you know, physicians who are willing to do it are the ones who actually care about your health because most physicians, especially in, inside the regular model, tell me if you feel differently, they just, they just give the people what they want, which is just, here's your magic pill. Now go away. Exactly. 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 But I mean, of course, by the time people get to hear about me or come to see me, they already know that that's not an option. I mean, when I was working general practice, you know, I had two hats on uh, there was, uh, I, and obviously every patient that came in, I started to talk about, well, we could do this through diet or changing. And if their eyes glazed over and they looked sleeping, they said, no, I just want the pills. Okay, I just gave them the pills. Um, but as my reputation um, um, uh, progressed, uh, people eventually knew that I was not happy about prescribing pills. And I was going to say, no, you've got to do diet, supplements, detox, whatever. And so, of course, most of my patients are self-selected. They don't ask for pills. They know what's on, on, on the menu. But the workshops, which I started doing, do work incredibly well and they are good fun because the, the people in the workshops ask me difficult questions and I don't know all the answers to all the questions. It makes me go and research it, look again, think again, uh, and then come back with, with, with answers. So the workshops are very much a two-way thing. Yes, I'm talking. Yes, I'm stating all my regimes, but at the same time, I'm also learning a lot. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing and I'm really disappointed to hear that it's so the same in in the UK that it is here because Americans really believe that over there you have far more license. So I'm sorry that you're I'm sorry that you're up against that, but I'm grateful that you're <laughs> I'm grateful that you're fighting the fight. Um 
I'm inspired that you beat 30, 30 investigations. I'm sure you'll beat the 31st. You're basically an old pro now. Now you should go be a consultant to all the other doctors who are being persecuted. So um, will you just leave us with, uh, with what does this world have to do in the next six months? The, the good thing is all of a sudden we have, we have hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people in the United States who are taking a look at the vaccine issues who until now, until four months ago, probably just believed that only bad parents don't vaccinate their kids. And now that, now that they're, they're looking at having to get a vaccine, they're, and, and, and you know what? And I used to be um, really in trouble on Facebook anytime I mentioned vaccines. So I mostly didn't on my public figure page where there's 210,000. But I'm finding that I can talk about vaccines now and they don't have time to play whack-a-mole because they're too busy playing whack-a-mole with anybody who connects the virus and 5G in New York City. They're too busy playing whack-a-mole with anybody who puts Judy Mikovits out there. There's, there's, so, there's so many ways they're trying to censor. They can't, everybody's talking about vaccines. So the great news is that it's, it's getting through. There's a yeah. lot more information getting through. And regular rank and file average Americans who probably would have just said vaccines are safe and effective four months ago are going, wait a minute. So what has to change? Taking advantage of this new consciousness this new awareness this new movement how can we take advantage of that and change the world in the coming months well by doing exactly what you are doing the more we can talk engage spread the news the better i mean andrew wakefield's new film um 1986 um is it the act 1986 that's due out in in july you know buy the film you know, spread the word he's a he's a he's one of the good guys you know he was a consultant in this country who got um, struck off for all by the General Medical Council um, for all the wrong reasons. He was doing pure research um, in, in a very responsible way. His lawyers told him, there's no problem here. There's no way they can strike you off. And, um, and, he, got, uh, and he, he got done for that. But there are one or two studies that are well worth looking at. There's one that's published in 2011, an American study. But all they did was they looked at children who'd been vaccinated and children that hadn't been vaccinated and said, and what happened to them. The children that were vaccinated had a three times risk of allergies, asthma, um, eczema. Um, they had a, um, uh, and a three times risk of developmental delay, autism, Asperger's uh, and the like. So it's real evidence that vaccines cause positive damage. Um, another work, small work done by a Canadian um, pediatrician called uh, Thomas Cowan, showed that if you get proper measles when you're a child, you know, proper infection, they protect you from cancers later on in life because they train the immune system correctly. It's very encouraging. Again, there's another study in New Guinea-Bissau where it was called a natural experiment. It just so happened that there was a window of time in this rather poor area of Africa where um, the aid workers were in and the children were vaccinated. And then the money ran out and there was a window of time of five years when the children were not vaccinated. And then they followed those children up long-term to see what happened to them. Those children who had been vaccinated, their death rate, their mortality was five times higher than the unvaccinated group. So in that case, those vaccines were killing children. Now, from that 2011 uh, study alone, we can see those vaccines are causing long-term health problems for those kids. So vaccines, in theory, sounds like a great idea, but in practice, they just do not work well. And um, um, you have to think very, very carefully before you um, have any um, child vaccinated. In fact, if anybody has any doubt about this, 
There's a fantastic book that I recommend um, you read called The River by Edward Hooper. Uh, he is a, an, a British researcher and he asked the question, what's the origin of AIDS? What's the origin of HIV? Where did that come from? And to cut a very, 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 very long story short, and I shouldn't be doing this because it reads beautifully, it reads like a detective story. Um, this all came down to the 1950s when there was a race to get the first polio vaccine out. And when there's a race between scientists, shortcuts are taken. And the polio vaccine was grown on chimp kidneys. So these, the chimpanzees were caught in uh, uh, West Africa, the kidneys were taken, and the polio vaccine was grown in that tissue. When you give a vaccine, when you give a viral vaccine, that you always get a dose of the material for, on which that vaccine is grown. And so effectively, those children were injected with uh, a solution of uh, a chimpanzee kidney. And all chimpanzees have their own viruses, their own, um, their own endogenous viruses, just as humans have endogenous viruses. And those children were injected with simian immunodeficiency virus, which jumped species and became human immunodeficiency virus. And of course, Julie Mikovic, who you mentioned earlier, has discovered exactly the same thing with vaccines that are grown on mouse tissue culture. The mouse uh, retrovirus jumped species and came, got into humans where they drive ME and they drive prostate cancer in men. So um, there are many examples of retroviruses, you know, getting from one, um, um, you know, there's potential for retroviruses to get from one species to another whenever viruses are grown in tissue culture. And of course, they, well, they're always grown in tissue culture because viruses have to be grown on a living organism. So um, um, uh, that's another reason we should be very concerned about viral vaccines. Everybody is receiving a dose of foreign DNA, which potentially contains retrovirus and can drive disease. Well, thank you so much for uh, your amazing wisdom today. Tell everyone where they can find you, especially I know there are gonna be people who have chronic fatigue who wanna jump in on one of your um, workshops. Where do they find you? Well, if you just do Google Dr. Myhill, my website comes up and on the front page of that it tells you how anybody in the world can join a workshop and um, I think it costs 20 quid for the day, so it's not expensive and, um, and we can chat away all day about the interventions that I use. And it's, um, we'll put that in the show notes, uh, but Dr. Myhill is D-R Myhill, M-Y-H-I-L-L? That'll do fine. You'll find me at that. Okay. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your spirit and your soul with us. Please keep soldiering on and knowing that we over here on the North American continent are rooting for you, Dr. Myhill. Bless you, you've been a great interview.